Hello and welcome to the Weekwell Unfiltered podcast. My name is Katie Litchfield and three years ago I left my job of 18 years because I'd had enough of standing by and watching women getting passed up for those top corporate executive committee roles. Now Weekwell is on a mission to build a better business world. Over the course of my career, I have met so many talented women and have come to realize that there must be so many more out there that are simply not seen. Weekwell finds these women and supports them on their journey to the very top. We now work with the companies themselves with the aim of achieving complete gender equality 50-50 at all levels, which is what this podcast is all about talking to the people with the power and the influence to make this happen and what they are doing about it. Over the course of this series, I will be talking to the CEOs of some of the world's largest organizations, asking those unanswered questions on why is it taking so long to achieve gender parity and what they are doing to close that gap. You will also learn about them, what drives them, what women influence them, the barriers they see, and the advice they have for the women who want a seat at that exclusive table. My first guest is Steve Cahillane. Since 2018, he has been Chairman, President and Chief Executive of the Kellogg Company. And as a leader of one of the largest, most recognized and most valued food brands in the world, we are very excited to be starting our podcast series with one of the top CEOs in the US. As one of our Week World judges, Steve has first-hand experience of our talented women having interviewed a number of our finalists. Despite being a friend of the company, he didn't expect an easy ride and he didn't get one, but he was very candid with his responses. When I was researching this interview, there was actually not that much information out there about you, considering you've been the CEO of two big companies, Kellogg's and Nature's Bounty. You've also been high up in some real big hitters too, like Coors, Coca-Cola, to name a few. You're the son of a New York fireman. You are proud of your Irish roots, married with two grown-up daughters and two sons. At Weekwell, we're we're a big believer in creating women role models. So I I want to know about the women in your life, Steve. Who are the women who have influenced you most? Yeah, I I love that question. You know, I'd start um, very personally with my own mother. And so, you know, a bit about my mom. She came to the United States as an 18-year-old woman by herself, uh, just graduated from high school and started to work in New York City. And fast forward to many years later, she, you know, she meets my father, who's a New York City fireman. You know, they get married and raise a family. And when I was in middle school, she decided that she wanted to go back to college. And she encouraged my father, you know, who is a full-time fireman, to also go back to college to get their college degrees. And I watched that through middle school. And I watched her, you know, raise a family of four, uh, get a college degree with perfect straight A's, and then enter the working world. And no, no moms that, you know, were in my neighborhood really were in the working world, generally speaking. It was a very traditional uh, neighborhood. Everybody's dad was a fireman or a cop. Well, my mom went to college and then went to work as an executive. And she did many things. And when my father passed away at an early age of 53, 
uh, she became an expat. <laughs> she went to Jakarta, she went to Europe, uh, and she can, continued this executive career. And, and I found it quite stunning, uh, but very, very inspirational. And so I learned the value of education, hard work, and just the, the nature of what is possible from watching my own mother. And most recently, you know, before I joined Kellogg, I had the privilege of running a company called Nature's Bounty, which was owned by, K, uh, it's owned by KKR now, but it was owned by Carlisle at the time. And so my, my boss, essentially the chairman of the board was a woman named Sandra Horbach. Uh, and Sandra is, I think, probably the most senior uh, executive woman in all of private equity, which is not known for its gender diversity at leadership levels. I think it's getting better. But Sandra was clearly a standout, and she's a ferocious leader, super intelligent, but you know, empathetic, just a great leader, and, but a real driver, drives a business, cares about the results, uh, very high standards. And you know, Sandra and I became friends as well as colleagues and did a lot of great things there, and uh, she continues to inspire me. Can we talk about Kellogg's leadership team, a subject my Week World Club members were very keen for me to ask about? I should explain for those new to Week World that the club members are all Week World Award finalists from all over the world, so are either one level below the executive committee or have already made that step up. They wanted to quiz you on the lack of women on your leadership team, just four out of 12. And I wanted to add, when will we see a 50-50 gender split? I think it's going to happen and it's happening because, you know, we recognize the value that we get from the diversity that we have currently. And the four women that you mentioned on the executive team, I can tell you punch uh, at their weight, above their weight, and are not at all shy about talking about the value of diversity in ways that are very constructive and so, again, we're, we're a company that has consumers that go across all sorts of demographics and sociographics. And so making sure that we have uh, varying points of view in our executive team is incredibly important. And if we were a grouping of white males who don't go shopping enough and don't live in a world where... Um, you know, where moms live, we would be missing uh, a very obvious trick. But it's not just that. It's just, it's the natural empathy that comes. It's just the dynamic that comes with having conversations that include men, that include women, and therefore include different points of view that just make us better. And we have to make sure that we're open to to those types of dialogues, to those types of challenges. You know, it is our aspiration, and we have been public about our aspiration to have a 50-50 gender split. And the most important thing that we can do to make sure that that happens is continue to look at our pipeline of talent. Because, you know, you have to develop the pipeline. You have to look at the middle of your organization and make sure that you're not you know, you're not losing talent, that you're developing talent, and that that talent looks up and sees the opportunities that are available for them. Over the last couple of years, we've talked to a lot of people doing amazing work in the DEI sphere. What we are hearing increasingly is that there needs to be much more engagement with and from men if we're going to speed up this change. What role should men be playing in helping bring down these barriers? Yeah, I think men uh, have to understand that the removal of barriers is incredibly important. 
And so if you are a man and you have the ability to remove barriers, then you ought to be thinking about what those barriers are and how you can knock them down. Because your company is going to be a better company if you get the boat, if you get the most out of the entirety of your population. And hopefully your population is moving towards 50% women, so it reflects the world and your consumers and your customers. And so if you want your company to be great, then you have to remove barriers of performance and advancement for everybody in the organization and particularly women. The other thing that you need to do is be ever aware of unconscious bias. And, you know, we've talked about this for years, but <laughs> by its very nature, it's a difficult thing because it's unconscious. And we all like to think of ourselves as enlightened and progressive and forward thinking. But part of that is recognizing that it exists and doing everything that you possibly can to ask yourselves the question, am I removing these barriers? Am I thinking clearly? Am I making the most of the opportunities for the organization through the advancement of the people who are going to be the best leaders for the organization. Kellogg's has a long-held reputation as an ethical company that does things ahead of the curve. But what does it mean to be an ethical company in these times? Yeah, I think first and foremost, an ethical company does the right thing each and every day, right? And you can argue about what the right thing is, but we, we understand what the right thing to do is and we want to do the right thing and making sure that, again, we, we know what our role is. And our role is to provide brands and foods that people love. And so we don't want to be too big for our britches, but we also want to make sure that, you know, we stick to what Mr. Kellogg started from the very beginning, which is, you know, we want to invest in our people. We want to invest in our communities. We want to be good corporate citizens. We want to earn the respect. We want to earn the love of our consumers each and every day. And we have to do the right thing because, you know, many have said it, you know, Mr. Kellogg also said it, you know, a reputation takes forever to build and it can be torn down in minutes. And so doing the right thing has always been important. And in, in a world where everything is transparent and news echoes across the world in seconds, um, it's got to be uh, part of your ethos. You, know, you have to surround yourself with people who truly believe and understand doing the right thing is not only the smart thing, but it's, it's the only thing. At Weekwell, we've been doing a lot of work with global DNI leads whose work in breaking down barriers has been relentless in the last 18 months. How do you deal with a world that's putting up barriers as the CEO of a global brand? Yeah, I think the barriers are is just the relentlessness of what seems to be a cascade of of tough news. And, you know, we all suffered watching the George Floyd video way too many times and the horrible injustice and, you know, the murder that occurred. And obviously when the trial occurred, I think the nation collectively held their breath uh, to see what would happen and, and breathe a sigh of relief. But that doesn't mean a sigh of relief doesn't mean that there's not work still to be done. And so I think the barrier is truly understanding the work that needs to be done, understanding the unconscious bias that we all come with, and making sure that we've got the stick-to-itiveness and the, you know, the, the, the grit to continue to muscle through, look for that better world, um, but not to fall victim to despair, to basically say that you know, the best disinfectant is always sunlight. So make sure that we're driving towards transparency, make sure that we're driving towards understanding, make sure that we're educating our people in the right way. We're not being preachy, we're not being judgmental, but we're being open, inclusive, and empathetic. 
and making sure that we don't let any barriers stand in the way and that we just have this kind of relentless optimism that has got a good measure of pragmatism as well as we think about how we want to you know, make our company uh, play the role that we can play into the future. You name-checked unconscious bias there. At Weekwell, we're talking to a lot of companies who are very worried about the hugely damaging effect of unconscious bias. How big a part does it play in the workplace issues we are all facing today? You know, I don't want to keep harping on unconscious bias, but that's that's a big part of it. And it's just the it's the lack of full awareness around what other people are experiencing. Right. We can only walk in our own shoes. We can try and walk in other shoes. But I think, you know, having that proactive approach to truly understanding what your organization expects, uh, how performance is measured, how the intangibles of performance are measured and really understanding the role that a more diverse workforce plays in driving better, higher performance. And so I think it's in, it, it comes down to an intentionality of this is the organization that we want to have, that we aspire to have, and these are the intentional steps that we must take to make sure that we drive towards that type of organization, that shape of an organization. One of the most important things that Weekwell does is showcase the talented women one level below the executive committee. We give them a voice and help them make that next step up to the exco. As someone who has been through the process on the judging side, what advice would you give our women wanting to get to that very top level? So a couple of things. First, I'd say really sweat the understanding of what your role is and how it you know, how it impacts the broader organization and where value is created. So I, you know, I have this role, it's part of the broader organization and success looks like this. And this is how it impacts the broader organization. I think just really grounding yourself in understanding what that is, is really important. And then look around and say, you know, how can I be a good colleague to not only the team that I'm on, but the interrelated parts of the organization who also, you know, you know, their success is dependent on my success and my success is dependent upon their success. And then the third thing I'd say is go out and look to mentor. Um, and, you know, because, you know, everybody likes to be a mentee or, you know, can benefit from being a mentee, but you're never too early in your career to be a mentor. And I think it just will practice good empathetic behavior. It'll help you get out in the organization in ways that are extracurricular. And it'll show that you really care about developing talent because, you know, as, if you're a middle manager, uh, it's it's never too early because there's entry level people who are coming in, you know, bright, eager and somewhat scared. And, you know, you can always help those people new in an organization uh, to develop their own talents. What makes a great leader? It's a great question. And I think it, it, it's a realization that you can't be the best at anything. Right. So the best salesperson doesn't always become the sales manager. The best marketing manager doesn't always become the CMO and the best supply chain person doesn't always lead the supply chain. But it's the best person who can realize that they collect the talent necessary to make the team as good as it possibly can be. And so, you know, when I took my first role as CEO, I had to realize that I needed the very best leaders to surround myself with so we'd get the 
best of the marketing department, the best of the supply chain, the best of our human resources department. And that means having the best, most empathetic leaders who really understand what team building is about, who really understand, you know, the mission that you want to create for the organization. And so it really is, you know, it's, it's the classic surround yourself with people who are better than you, but be comfortable in doing it and mean it. Don't just, you know, say it because it's a cliche and you read it in a book. Just realize, you know, I'm not going to be the one who does the work. You know, I can I can jump in where I think I can add value, but then you have to be very conscious that, you know, as a CEO, when you say things, people listen. And so I always try and caveat it and say, this is an idea. You can take it or leave it because I want to be part of it, but I really genuinely just want to help make the team better by recognizing that the talent all around you must be better than you can be yourself. Uh, and I also try and read, you know, I read for pleasure, but I also read history. I find that, you know, that helps me really just stay grounded in not always not, not having a myopic focus against just the business world, but also understanding that there's, uh, you know, there's a lifelong of learning in front of us. And I think being a lifelong learner is something that's really very, very important if you want to be a leader in any organization. It's been the privilege of a lifetime to be the CEO of Kellogg. So, you know, it certainly comes with challenges, but it comes with, you know, a great deal of opportunity and a great deal of just exhilaration to, you know, be part of such an organization. But I'd say the challenges are unique today in that it's, you know, the, the role of the CEO is changing whether you like it or not. And so the expectation historically to drive value for share owners, to drive value uh, for those inside the organization has become broader. And so the expectation is uh, to be a good corporate citizen, to be a good CEO, you have to pay, play a role outside of your organization. Many of our listeners, and me too, actually want to know, how do you relax? How do you switch off? Yeah. So, you know, we used to talk about work-life balance, and I think that was always a little bit of a misnomer. And I think about work-life integration. You know, it's you're always on when you're in a role like mine. You, you, you never really shut off, but you have to take time for yourself and you have to take time for your family. So, you know, my priority is my family, my wife, my four kids, uh, the broader family and my friends. And I try and make sure that when I'm there, I'm present and I try and be there as much as I can and, and I try and be present. Now, the interesting thing or the helpful thing is, you know, my kids, my wife, they're interested in uh, Kellogg. You know, they, they love the company. So I can talk about, you know, what Tony the Tiger's up to and <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not boring to them. So that is, that is a little bit of luck. Uh, but I also try and make, you know, make sure I find time for physical fitness. So I'm a regular runner. Uh, I run nearly every day. Uh, and I make sure I make time for that. It's also great time for thinking. Um, so it really is a time to, you know, spend time reflecting on the day. Another question from our Week 12 finalists. A number wanted to ask you about the pandemic, but specifically about the way that the last year has seen an acceleration in women leaving. And also, how are you and your executive team, Steve, engaging with that middle management to ensure Kellogg is not losing talented women in their middle careers, as well as making sure women are not losing ground during this critical pandemic period? Yeah, so there's been so many terrible things that this pandemic has wrought on the world. And one of them is that women are leaving the workforce in you know, larger numbers than their male counterparts. And that is really and truly unfortunate. Um, and I think part of what we tried to do at Kellogg is really understand the drivers around that. Because you know, at first blush, you might say, actually, working from home and working more remotely 
ought to give more flexibility to manage the day-to-day responsibilities uh, that we otherwise, you know, would have a challenge managing when we had to get up and commute and go to work. Well, that on its face has not been the case. And so really understanding the challenges of working at home while children are, you know, needing to be educated through Zoom, uh, where we call it the music of the family is erupting all around you. And so I think it's really genuinely being empathetic and making sure that we understand what the issue is and we embrace it and that, that nobody ought to feel uncomfortable at all because we're all literally in the same boat. And so, you know, our leaders are out there leading from the front, males and females, making sure that everybody understands that when the dog's barking, that's okay. When the child runs, you know, and jumps on your lap and says, you know, mommy, I need this, that, that that's actually more than okay. That's beautiful. And so making sure that people understand that, but making sure that we'd spend the time to educate and understand where the support is necessary uh, is, I think, at the end of the day, the most important element of it. And making sure that we're listening and that we're, you know, we have an open mind to having the conversations around what do you need and making sure that we're being proactive and asking that question, what do you need? Because your voice is important, your contribution is great, and your challenges are real, and, and, and you're not alone. You are truly not alone because we're all suffering in some way uh, through this pandemic. Steve, I want to talk a little more about the women in your life. You've already told us about your mother, who sounded like a remarkable woman. But you also have two grown-up daughters, who I would imagine have the potential to offer valuable insight. So does the next generation of women in your family carry any influence? They have in a major way. So I've got four children. The two older ones are daughters and the two younger ones are boys. And my oldest daughter is 26. She's a reporter uh, living in New York City. Uh, She had one of her first jobs out of college uh, with a company that I would say was not very progressive, was not uh, very uh, politically correct, to say the least. And I spent a lot of time talking with her about how you manage that environment and how you gut your way through it. And the very fact that I had to have those conversations pained me. Um, because I didn't have to have, and I know I won't have to have those conversations with my sons. And so she's with an organization now that is unbelievable and she's flourishing and she's just doing great. And my next daughter is a first year law student and, uh, and she'll change the world. And, And I think she'll have the opportunity to do that. And I'm very proud of my boys as well, because they are ferocious protectors of their older sisters just by by virtue of being part of this family, you know, I I look at them and I have never had to have conversations with them around, you know, what it's like to be a good brother, what it's like to be a good boy, a good male. Uh, It comes to them in ways that seem natural. And I think they've learned that from their sisters. And so it gives me hope that the next generation, uh, boys and girls, uh, looks at the world in a more open, progressive, educated way. And finally, hand on heart, can you honestly tell your daughters they will have an equal shot at the top when they get to your age? Well, I can put my hand on my heart and hope that that's true. I can put my hand on my heart and tell you from a Kellogg perspective, we're going to do everything that we can to make that true. And so that's that's my hope. But again, it, it requires a, a spirit of never giving up because, you know, my daughters are going to have challenges. I fully recognize that. You know, I'm not a Pollyanna, but I do believe that with the right support, 
with the right level of uh, influence by people like yourself and organizations like yourself, uh, the type of awareness that's happening, uh, I can put my hand on my heart and say, I bet that that's going to be more the case than not. Big thanks to Steve, Cahalane, and the Kellogg Company for all their time and patience in making this edition happen. I'm Katie Litchfield. You have been listening to the Weekwell Unfiltered podcast. For more information about Weekwell, don't forget to visit our website, weekwell.com. Until next time. Weekwell Unfiltered was written and produced by Katie Litchfield and Sean Smith. Our sound engineer was Jack Sudderby. 